0: Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public service. Content communication. Who heard the difference? Yes, Content marketing in government is a term that we have decided to change. And the reason we've decided to change it is that it has failed to resonate with audiences as we've gone about talking to them about this process. Because essentially, what we have been talking about is a marketing process. But for a government audience, it seems in so many of the engagements that I've had over the last few years, that marketing is just a term that doesn't resonate. It's a term that carries a lot of baggage, not only in the in the public sector, but at the private sector. So what we've decided to do is to call it content communication. Now, as I get into the definition, that doesn't change, this notion of engaging and informing in order to encourage a particular behaviour so that we can achieve what it is that we need with our policy, our program, our service or our regulation. But we've just decided to to change the name. So from here on in, we'll be talking about content communication as it relates to the public sector and government and the public sector. So that's a change. Uh, It's a slight change. And indeed, we've launched a research project with the Australian National University. And I'd encourage you um, to get onto the content group website www.contentgroup.com.au, click on the research tab and you'll see the content communication program where we're working with our good friends at the the Australian National University School of Business and Economics who are looking at the evidence base that that sits underneath our process of content communication and indeed starting to develop the toolkits that we can use, that you can use, I hope, into the future that will help you to get Better outcomes. Okay, so there's a big change. Uh, not a, maybe not a big change, but you know, words are important, as we all know, and and we need to get better at our, expressing ourselves and to create meaning. It is very difficult to create meaning in people in people's minds. So, we just felt that that change was was necessary. So, bye bye content marketing as it relates to government and the public sector, and hello content communication. And today I have. One of the finest communicators in the Australian public sector has a wonderful reputation. His name's Gregory Andrews, and he is Australia's first threatened species commissioner. His job is to raise awareness of and support... Australia's fight against extinction and Leeds' implementation of Australia's first threatened species strategy. Before taking up the threatened species commissioner position, Gregory was deputy head of Australia's delegation to the United Nations climate change negotiations. He's previously worked on social and indigenous policy reform and has twice taken leave to work on indigenous community development. His career began with the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs in Trade back in 1992, and he has been on postings to China and to Japan. When in China, Gregory worked on environmental issues, including negotiating a bilateral agreement to protect habitat for migratory bird species. He joins me in the studio. Gregory, thanks for joining us in transition. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Now. You you love communicating, don't you? This is a really important part of your role as the, the Threatened Species Commissioner. I,
1: I do. At my The terms of reference for the Commissioner, I was appointed in 2014, I should say, as Australia's first ever Threatened Species Commissioner by then Minister Hunt, and now I report to Minister Frydenberg. Uh, but I had a, a clean slate, so to speak, in terms of what my role should be. I had some rather complicated terms of reference that I didn't understand <laughs> that had a lot of technical <laughs> Uh, but my, my job is really threefold. The first is to ramp up awareness and concern for the species that we're losing that define who we are and what we are as a nation. The second is to mobilise resources uh, to fund conservation and saving species. And the third is to advise uh, the Minister uh, on threatened species conservation policy.
0: And really what what sits under all of those is effective communication,
1: isn't it? Well, it certainly does, actually. As as we were discussing before this started, uh, more Australians know who the Kardashians are than the 12 mammals or the 65 uh, birds in Australia that are rarer than China's giant panda. So one of the biggest risks to extinction, the science says feral cats, for example, are the single biggest threat to our mammals, but actually the biggest threat to our wildlife is the Kardashians Uh, and that's because they've got 76 million people following them on Twitter and Facebook and we all know who they are, even those of us who don't want to know who they are. Uh, And so my job, an important part of my job is to get Australia excited about saving species, aware and excited about saving species.
0: Okay, so what have you learnt from the Kardashians that you are applying
1: to your day job? Well I think one of the most important things that I've learned in my job is uh, a little bit like what you were talking about in the introduction and that's making sure that we're not talking at people and that we're communicating in a language that people understand. Uh, And so for example in government and in the Department of the Environment everyone would understand what biodiversity conservation is but when I'm talking on the radio or to Channel 7 or to the Sunday Telegraph I talk about saving species and fighting extinction. so I think what's really important is to use language that uh, resonates with people, but also to find arguments and find reasons to do things that resonate with as wide a group of people as possible. A few years ago, I was lucky enough to spend three days with Al Gore on his climate reality leadership program, and what I learned from him was don't preach to the converted and don't try to, to change the minds of the sort of extreme climate change denialists. Go for first principles that everybody agrees with. And and in saving species, for example, I often say that we've already lost nine wallabies to extinction and 16 more at risk. So we can't keep naming our rugby team the wallabies and putting a kangaroo on the tail of Qantas when we lose our animals and our plants to extinction. We put them on our coins, we have them on our coats of arms, we name our sporting teams after them. They define who we are, but we're losing them at unprecedented rates and that's why we need to save our species because we're losing part of what it is to be Australian.
0: How important
1: then is this
0: sense of emotion in your communication because it's interesting as soon as you just said that that connected with me at a point where it moved me to think oh you know I actually felt that and so that it was a a human reaction to the communication so how often or and how clearly are you thinking about that or what priority are you putting in it to move people not so much around the facts and figures but to to, to communicate in a human way that gets people to feel something
1: it, it's evocative isn't it and yeah you know and actually I feel really blessed the job I have has a wonderful alignment with my own values and personal interests but also the skills that I have as a as a communicator but even I often when I'm giving a speech I have to stop because I'm sometimes moved um, so much that I can't speak Yes. Uh, because we have 1900 animals and plants here in Australia that are at risk of extinction uh, and, and so I think emotion is is quite a valid thing, and and so is nationalism. Not not nasty, okay. yeah. uh, extremist nationalism, but but actually, we all define ourselves through our wildlife, no matter what uh, way we vote. Uh, no matter where we sit on the, on the political spectrum. And so finding those common reasons that we all share, and it's something that I see right around Australia when I travel to remote communities or regional places and I meet farmers or local volunteer groups uh, who are saving species. And they're not just young people with dreadlocks. They're, they're, they're nanas knitting. Uh, they're, they're the full spectrum of society. And, and, and actually a positive about saving species and fighting extinction is that it brings us together. So I look for those, those reasons that resonate with all of us. And rather than telling people that fighting extinction and saving species is something that we have to do, rather than making it about blame and burden, make it mm. about opportunity. Mm. Make it about the future. Make it about our kids, our, our national identity and who we are.
0: How big a challenge is it, though, that those assumptions are there? You know, the, as you say, it's 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 the nanners knitting, not just the dreadlocked, you know, people chaining themselves to gates. You know, there's a lot of people who are involved in there, but there's that risk of assuming, isn't there? There's a risk that assuming that you know the, the the societal norm is indeed what you know is that issue. So how 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 do you resist assuming things to to make sure that you? you being more accurate?
1: Well, I often bench my, benchmark myself, David, against uh, my cousins in Ballina or uh, okay. my cousin in... Um uh, in Dubbo, or my aunties and uncles. And I, I think to myself, what, would my auntie and would my uncle listen to this story? Yeah. And would it resonate with them? Uh, of course, I can turn on and talk the language of Canberra, and I do that in boardrooms yes. and offices in, Ca- in Canberra and in the Department of the Environment. But I think making sure we use the right language and the right arguments when we're outside of Canberra is really important. And actually, Adding to that, getting out of Canberra, and one of the things that I enjoy immensely about my job is wading through rice paddies in the Riverina, or um, tagging turtles, uh, working with Indigenous people, hunting, and I think that gives us an authenticity. It's Canberra is a bubble. I moved here in 1992, and I love Canberra, and I call it home now, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else other than Canberra, but it is a bubble. It's not like the rest of Australia and it's easy to forget. Uh, what the rest of Australia is like when you're in Canberra and so I like to ground myself with the community with people outside of Canberra a- and listen to them and understand them and for example here in Canberra and in, in indeed all the leafy green suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne there's a presumption that farmers uh, destroy the environment and don't care about wildlife uh, but the people who are making those criticisms are still drinking their almond soy cappuccinos <laughs> with turmeric uh, and the and the other And soy is grown in the Riverina by our farmers, but also when I meet those farmers, I met a farmer yesterday who came all the way from South Australia, from the Mallee country in South Australia, he flew all the way to Canberra to talk to me about what he's doing to tackle feral cats and and to ask me what more uh, I can do and what he can do and what we can do together to save the Mallee fowl. And I meet farmers like that across Australia. So I think one of the really important things is not to vilify people, not to make it about blame. And the other thing is actually rather than making it about um, a threat, making it about um, what people, that people can be leaders. So, for example, with domestic cat owners... Uh, roaming cats are a huge problem. They kill. The science shows that domestic roaming cats kill hundreds of millions of birds every year in Australia and feral cats are an even bigger problem than that. But I often say that domestic pet owners can choose to join the fight against extinction by choosing to be responsible pet owners and keeping their cat indoors. So rather than telling them it's something they have to do and they're bad people for yeah. not keeping their cat inside, I flip it around and invite them to actually join the fight against extinction and play their part. And I often say that when I was a cat owner, I thought I was a responsible cat owner because I was letting my cat out during the day and keeping it in at night. But I wasn't. So actually the RSPCA policy is 24-7 cat containment. But vilifying cat owners or dog owners uh, or farmers or or mining companies isn't going to win the fight against extinction.
0: Mm -hmm. So in terms of your own practice and your own processes around communication. Can you describe um, what are some of the techniques that you use and some of the tools that you use that you find get the best results for you as you are telling these stories, as you say, as you walk moving around the country and, indeed, I'm sure, internationally? So
1: I, I think that probably the two biggest things that I've found that have been successful for my role, the first is to get out into the field yep. and, and meet people on the ground and get down at their level. And so I've gutted a feral cat and I reached and reached as I was doing that because the insides of a feral cat do not smell very nice. But I did that early on and what I learned was that the word got around that the commissioner... Um, was reaching, and but he he went he, he he got through it. it till the end. He didn't um, pike on that. Um, so getting out into the field, and the second is actually the the remarkable power of social media. Yeah. A- and I should really thank Secretary de Brouwer, Gordon de Brower, my secretary, and former Minister Hunt and uh, Minister Frydenberg, all three of them, trust me to use social media without micromanagement. And, and uh, before I became the commissioner, I didn't have any social media accounts, private or, or um, official, and I wasn't really interested in social media. I, I was ambivalent really about it. Mm-hmm. But it's immensely powerful and, and I can reach up to 100,000 Australians a week unfiltered with messages about government policy and linking what the government's doing on many things to saving species through Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram. So so I think social media is immensely powerful and the reason my social media accounts have grown so fast and I really find it satisfying when I meet people who say something to the effect of, or, or my wife meets someone and they say, oh, are you following the Threatened Species Commissioner <laughs> on Facebook? But because that means that it's actually normalising, yeah. that it's out there. Well, th- 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 yeah, precisely. Yeah, and, and the, the beauty of uh, social media is that it's instant and it's unfiltered. And I find that I often use social media as a hook to both engineer and influence policy outcomes, Mm -hmm. but also to secure more funding, as well as raising broader awareness. And just as an example, mining covers 0.021% of Australia, but feral cats roam across 99.8% of Australia. And before I was appointed as the commissioner, if I'd been asked, which do you think is the bigger threat, (laughs) feral cats or mines? I probably would have thought it was mines, but actually mining, Mine, mining covers such a tiny part of Australia, and mines, according to our environmental laws, are required to reduce, uh, avoid, reduce, and offset. Their negative impacts on our threatened species, but feral cats aren't. So I've been able to raise awareness on feral cats, but also promote and thank BHP, which is investing, for example, $5.45 million unconditionally, not as an offset for any mining, but five, over nearly $5.5 million to save green sea turtles on the Great Barrier Reef. So one, one of the things that I'm using social media for is to validate companies like BHP and Google that are actually already investing in threatened species conservation and then challenging gently and inviting companies like Qantas uh, and Woolworths and other companies where there might be a great business synergy for them to get involved in Australia's fight against extinction to join and play their part as well. Mm, So this is great
0: innovation. How, And and you mentioned a, a point there which I think is very important around Trust. Now, we'll come back to your tools and techniques, because I'm really interested to know what works for you in terms of, you know, is it imagery, what times of the day, what sort of stories. But before we get back to that, uh, yeah, trust, which is the point, you know, you were saying that the two ministers and the secretary of the department trust you. What did you do to earn that trust?
1: Look, I think you'd probably have to ask them. Uh, I think part of it is their nature, <laughs> the fact that they were they were willing to give me a go and they understood the value of social media. But did you say to them,
0: uh, I want to go and here's my plan, this is what I want to go and do, or did you say, I think there's something here, I want to explore it, are you happy for me to go ahead without something sort of clearly defined with... You know, risk management frameworks around it and all that sort of stuff. Were you able to get started with a lot of the without a, the lot of the traditional
1: governance baggage? So, the, yeah, the answer is yes. Right. So, look, we we do, I do have a media um, protocol, but I can't remember the last time <laughs> I looked at it, David. Uh, but do you know what I do? If I'm ever in any doubt, yeah. I think would the minister. And would my secretary yep. be concerned? And if either of the two of them are concerned, then I know that I'm crossing a line of either government policy or the Westminster separation of powers. So as long as I know that both of them would be comfortable, yep. that's, that's my benchmark. When I was first appointed, the department gave me quite a few recommendations and they did suggest that, we, that I would have Twitter uh, and not Facebook or Instagram, and that they would clear my tweets or do them for me. And, and I realised after a, a, probably a week that that wasn't going to work. Uh, and so I just sort of gently started breaking the rules. I, I am a little bit of a rules breaker, uh, and, uh, but, but, but not important rules. Uh, the department told me not to say Extinction. Uh, and people said don't say anything's endangered unless that's the formal classification that that species is uh, in the threatened species um, uh, list but you know there's all these different categories like near threatened threatened, vulnerable <laughs> but but that actually makes people zone out so yes. I, I say things are endangered uh, I, I talk about extinction and fighting extinction and Minister Frydenberg and Minister Hunt both use that language and the department uses that language so so it wa- it was a um, it was an incremental and somewhat experimental process uh, I think developing this strategy I, I have to say one I did learn from Hank Jongen uh, yep. from from DHS yep. and and I looked at his social media and I I followed that and I've also had a couple of conversations with Hank particularly about how to manage um, trolling and inappropriate communication on on my social media platforms. But I think the key thing was that the minister and the secretary saw the value uh, of competing with the Kardashians and, and getting the message out there. And and um, the way I see it is be- is, the public service traditionally is risk adverse with these sort of things. So an, an automatic sort of um, default uh, the yes, default right. setting would be don't, don't participate because do that's risky. Correct. But if we don't participate, we're we're excluding, we're choosing to exclude ourselves from the conversation. So if people on my Facebook are going, coal mines are really evil, and coal mine, you need to stop coal mining, and you need to stop the habitat destruction from the Pacific Highway upgrade, um, then I can actually say, well, actually, the science says that koalas the biggest threat to koalas is climate change, followed by chlamydia, not the Pacific Highway upgrade at Ballina. And so I could have chose to be risk-adverse and stay out of the conversation. By being in the conversation, of course we take a risk, but we're getting the real story out there and we're staying in the conversation. Because as you would know, um, Facebook... Uh, so much of the, the news and media has migrated to social media. Correct. So we can choose to be part of it or if we choose not to be part of it, we exclude ourselves.
0: So are you seeing there that within, as you say, this risk-averse culture, are you seeing it more broadly change within government? Are you seeing that there are people following your lead and having the courage to to get out there and rather than ask permission, seek forgiveness?
1: Uh, look, I know that I'm certainly uh, I'm certainly granted that privilege, and yes. I respect it very deeply and very seriously. And um, a couple of times I've I've made mistakes, and I felt terrible about that. Yep. But I know that um, n- nobody's been that cross with me because they see the net benefit, yep. and, and I know that the department and. Uh, Secretary de Brouwer actually nominated my team for an innovation award. So, so I know this is something that the department and other departments are looking at. And yeah, if I can provide any assistance uh, in my own humble capacity, I'm delighted. I, I can say that I've learnt most of it uh, on the run, mm. on the go, uh, and also from young people. Uh, for example, if I've got a young graduate in my in my office i have a team of 6 to 7 people but i usually ask the graduates uh, what would be a good idea to pitch for a facebook or is this better for instagram and and the, and, the, and actually they they're more savvy on social media so yeah. so they have been teaching me yeah
0: good mm. so in terms of what you've learnt, what works for you in terms of telling your story in terms of you know times of the day are, are there better times for you to be publishing Uh, Content And if you are publishing,
1: what works? Is it video that works for you? Is it photos that work for you? What's the mix? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the great thing about these social media platforms is they have all these analytics that come with you that you (laughs) can actually have a look and see. So actually, the people who follow me on Facebook, the time of the day when they're most online is at nine o'clock at night during weekdays. Yep. But on weekends, uh, they're online more. But I think a lot of people actually finish the day, they get their kids to bed, they do the washing up, they sit down and then they might be watching something on TV but they're also checking Facebook at the same time. So if I want to get maximum reach for for a story and and I can afford to, I'd probably post it any time after 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have fantastic content. I'm blessed With Australia, 90% of our animals and plants are found nowhere else on earth. Yeah. They're extraordinary. They're beautiful. We're emotionally connected to them. Yeah. You know, we have more eucalyptus trees in Sydney than the United Kingdom has total species of trees across its whole country of all species. So we're just bioabundant. So I've got wonderful content. And so beautiful images definitely work. But, and where do, you, where do you get them from? Well, a lot of them I take myself when I'm okay. out in the field, right. um, I, just with my iPhone or mm-hmm. with a GoPro. Uh, I've got a fancy camera, but I, I tend not to use it I tend to use the iPhone and and the GoPro I I find that Facebook uh, gets the best reach Uh, Facebook reaches everyone Uh, it's mums and dads as well as as the Twitter elite whereas Twitter is much more sort of academic journo um, educated sort of elite focus Uh, it's good it's instantaneous uh, and, and so I like to, for example, tag Annabelle Crab or various journalists uh, with my Twitter, uh, particularly if I've got an interesting uh, story. I'll tag some journalists who I know are interested, uh, whereas Facebook, I, I, I also use them together. So I'll post a story on Facebook about the endangered mountain pygmy possum, but then I'll tweet a link to my Facebook post to push people from Twitter to Facebook Uh, And so, yeah, look, I think um, generally, it's also quite quirky I've got a pretty good feeling for what's going to get good reach but I can also I never predict it the the thing that I actually had the greatest reach where I reached 750,000 people was actually an endangered crayfish in Tasmania And and a gentleman from Tasmania sent me a photo of this huge crayfish that was you know sort of like about 70 or 80 centimetres long freshwater crayfish and he said could you put this on Facebook and I checked with my team and that it was legitimate and it's an endangered species in Tasmania. And so we did a Facebook story on it. And I couldn't have imagined that it would have reached three quarters of a million people. <laughs> but um, you know, interestingly mammals, uh, uh, mammals sea turtles, uh, but also you can never predict it. Sometimes yeah. a plant, a beautiful image of a flower, uh, an endangered plant that we're saving. I think images are really important. So having a good image. Picking the right time of the day and my my team and the people in the Department of the Environment in the media area who give me a lot of support, they advise me not to put out too many posts. They sometimes tell me I'm pushing out too many many Facebook posts uh, and to let each one run its course before you put out the next one.
0: So uh, Um, are you being strategic as well about your publishing? Like are you looking at... The objectives that you're seeking to achieve and thinking, okay, well, the next month this is coming, so I'll make sure that I've got content coming for that. Uh, this is an issue that's important, so I'll be making sure that I'm l- using this mix of challenge uh, channels because it's interesting you said before that face-to-face communication is essentially the most powerful channel where you can mm. get out and get in front of people. So are you taking that sort of strategic view on it or are you sort of being a little bit more... Um, opportunistic really Mm. as things are arising
1: yeah so look it's a combination of both Mm -hmm. uh now that i've been in the job for two and a half (coughs) years since my appointment in 2014 i'm proud to say that the australian government's mobilized 210 million dollars for projects across australia that are saving species so what from government or from uh, from the australian government so that's the that's the total funding that's supporting species from across a range of Programs, because the way I work. So was that was that a standing start of zero to two hundred and ten yes, from twenty fourteen? Yeah. Wow. So So the way the the way the threatened species commissioner model works is I don't have a budget. My job is to work across government. I, I have a budget to pay for my sal- salary and travel and the people who work for me. So it's roughly it costs about a million dollars a year to run the threatened species right. commissioner model, uh, and but but actually my job is to get make mainstream programs across the like the National Land Care Programme, the Twenty Million Trees Programme, the National Heritage Trust, but also Indigenous Ranger Programs or the CDEP program in the Prime Minister's department, harness the power of all those programs to get main to to mainstream better outcomes for threatened species. A little bit like the concept of mainstreaming Indigenous affairs, to get better indigenous health outcomes from existing health services. So that, that's right. how the model works. And so as a result of this model the, the, f- the amount that we've mobilised since 2014 is $210 million. There's hundreds of projects around Australia that are reversing declines of species thanks to this model. So, so I have a, a, I'm at a very sweet spot where a, a science-based, evidence-based policy, the Threatened Species Strategy, with hard and measurable targets to recover our mammals, our birds, our plants, to improve recovery governance and to tackle feral cats have all been implemented now uh, on an ongoing basis for long enough that we're starting to see significant improvements. So I can report on those improvements. I can share stories of like the, the Norfolk Island green parrot where $300,000 has actually resulted in a tenfold increase in the global population of an endangered species. So, so I'm lucky that often content comes to me now where people mm. who have actually received grants that, that I've supported and that Minister Hunt or Minister Freidenberg have approved um, on my recommendation are now delivering results. Mm-hmm. But but I use the I use all of the social media and my direct engagement with radio and print news particularly to promote the content of the threatened species strategy, which is very ambitious, mm-hmm. uh, and also to share the successes. So we definitely do schedule and we're strategic about it, but at the same time um, there's quite a lot of content that comes in that, that we don't necessarily predict. so we need to be a com- have a combination of strategic but also reactive. So
0: from, from here on in we're only a, a couple of minutes away from from uh, closing out today. Where are the next bits of this? This has obviously been very successful and you've used communication to to run a, a very effective operation. Where do you see the next couple of years going? How is it going to continue to change? And how are you going to continue to take advantage of communication in order for you to continue to get the, the great results you mm. obviously are.
1: Yeah, so look, one of my number one priorities uh, that Minister Freidenberg's asked me to pursue is to grow support from the private sector. Yeah. We've all got a role to play fighting extinction. Um, the Australian Government is certainly playing its part now, which is terrific. Uh, and, uh, but $210 million is a lot to mobilise. But we've got 1,900 animals and plants on our threatened species list. And the list has been growing. So to get things off the list and keep them off the list we need more uh, support from a wider source as possible. Yeah. So growing, growing private sector and philanthropic and corporate support for threatened species is a major priority for me. And that was one of the main. That was the key reason I went to Rain Island last week, which is the world's biggest green sea turtle hatchery, and where BHP's put in five a whopping five point four five million yeah. to save those turtles. Um, the, the, the turtles were actually falling off a cliff and dying after they'd given birth, and their eggs were being in indicted by water as a result of the sand dunes changing, yeah, right. So so BHP's contributed f- over five million, over five years, to reprofile the sand, to, to bring in bobcats and to okay. fix it all up, and it's working. So I, I wanted to go there to actually validate and thank BHP yeah. and show that um, partnerships, where the Australian and Queensland government also have contributed millions of dollars, yeah. these partnerships can work. So that's, that's one of my major priorities. And how
0: important will your communication platform be do you think, to encouraging private sector participation where people want to get exactly that type of recognition? Now, I'm not saying BHP did it because they, were going, they wanted to be featured in you know, Gregory Andrews' mm. Facebook page, mm. but how important is it, do you think, to your work that you have this platform in place, effective and working?
1: Yeah, look, immensely important. I I probably spend close to um, an hour a day um, myself on on the social media and it's a high return, very high return. And and as an example, we've got 30 plants that we need to recover by um, 2020 and at least half a dozen of those plants would be ideal garden plants. They could be for sale at Bunnings uh, and Hardware House and Mitre 10. And, and so actually I've been doing stories and tagging Bunnings and Hardware House uh, and, 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 you know, tweeting and, um, and Facebooking about that and how I'd like to see endangered plants. And I'm sure yeah. Bunnings would love to actually be part of a program that's commercial, a commercially viable um, initiative to save some of Australia's rarest plants and where people can grow them in their gardens and the immense satisfaction they have from that. So, look, I, I think social media uh, is going to continue to be important, probably even more important than it's ever been for my role. OK, Bunnings, you heard
0: it. <laughs> Out you go. Well, Gregory Andrews, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with us uh, on In Transition today. It's a, it's a wonderful example of um, a public servant um, taking the gift of technology, essentially being your own media company, And using it to get out there and create policy outcomes and program outcomes and delivering massive value through telling great stories and using content to get out there and do it. So long may you continue with that. And long may – and I hope people get inspired by this. And I would love the point there that you really – particularly when you started, it was all about getting out and doing it, you know, breaking a few things along the way. But – Yeah, not really asking for permission through the, you know, don't do this, can't say that, you know, be careful of this. You actually just went out and got started and then, you know, the value was there. And once you got started, it was, you know, you're away. And I think that's a a great lesson, I think, potentially for many people out there to follow.
1: Oh, thanks, David. Look, I, I'm very proud to have been a public servant since 1992. I've had a fantastic career, but more importantly, I've contributed as an Australian government public servant to some remarkable things that make our country better, and I think by getting on social media and other platforms, including mainstream media, we can get these messages out and we can celebrate the contribution that the Australian government makes and not undersell ourselves. Excellent. Okay, well,
0: Gregory. Andrews, thank you very much for joining us. And to you, the audience, thank you once again for coming back. Uh, And, yeah, what a great, great story there told to us today by Gregory Andrews. Really appreciated that. Thanks for listening to The Change there as we made earlier in the program, talking now about content communication. So thank you very much for joining me this week, and I look forward to you joining me again at the same time next week. Bye for now. You've
1: been listening
0: to In Transition the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.